Well, find your way in your Bibles to Acts chapter 7. Acts 7, page 1,400 and... You're not there yet. Wow. Is that a guess? Or is that what your Bible says? I'm, I'm so glad for this time we have together, John. <laughs> huh. That's a lot of pages. You sure you can have you read through your whole Bible? You read the whole thing, Chris? You gotta be close. No? Hmm. How much didn't you read half the Bible in CKC? Children's ministry? Hmm. Wow. You did study the Bible in children's ministry, didn't you? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I see. You're very technical. I forgot this about you. I, I shouldn't have given a fraction. Did you read some of the Bible? <laughs> All right. Uh, we left off in verse 37, so we're going to get on the, the Boeing 737 uh, to witness Stephen being murdered for his faith. Uh, so let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the history as it's recorded to bear witness to this world that Jesus, you are your son of God. You're the only son of God and that you have come and and entered into your creation. Lord, you've suffered. You died. We worship you. Lord, stir us up today. Build us up in our most holy faith concerning the days we live in and the increase we ask for of faith, hope and love. Lord, give us a greater working of hope in our days. Lord, hope that endures through much trouble, a greater working of faith, Lord, concerning our witness to this Christ-rejecting world. And Lord, fill us up with your love, a love that comes forth from you, a love that we know in the depths of, of life that your love never fails. We worship you today and continue it through the study of your word, Lord, asking your spirit to teach us that, that we may know the certainty of the words of truth that whoever you would send to us, we'd have words to answer. And Lord, you could send us to others with these same words of truth. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, I don't know if it's right to be excited about a chapter like this where the first Christian martyr is the way we normally describe this. But I'm excited about the wisdom and witness and power of the Holy Spirit upon a table waiter. I, I like this part because I'm not a trained, you know, formally trained go-to-seminary pastor, and you guys still put up with me. Um, not everybody would if you don't have those numbers and letters and and mark of man upon this. Uh, Stephen doesn't either. Stephen is one of those men full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost, and, and the witness and the power of God upon his life as we've been studying this, the Sanhedrin is grilling him. In chapter six, and remember, his face is shining with what I what I believe to be the glory of God, and and we have no record like Stephen, you know, not like Moses, where we know Moses met with God in in the tent, uh, but Stephen, uh, I believe it's it's a foreshadowing that he's going to glory, and even when he looks up and he, he looks up into heaven, he's going to glory. Now before he goes, and don't ever think that a life. Uh, a life 
of a saint is very precious in the sight of God. The death of a saint is valuable. Now, the Lord is willing, study it throughout history, it begins here in the book of Acts, to, to witness unto others at the cost of them not liking to hear what they're hearing concerning the truth unto the killing of another who said it to him. And that's what, where we come to this place and study. Now, the point of conflict with Stephen and with the synagogue of the freedmen, the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, they're Alexandrians, they're, if, you, if you study the history, they're in that learned place over in Alexandria. Now, were you on the Egypt trip? So you've seen, like us, with us, you saw Cairo, the pit that it is. You saw the, what is Alexandria known for? The library. See, and, and in having seen that, you understand that the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament or the Tanakh, was done in Alexandria, and they stored all kinds of materials. In fact, you, you can check it all out. Westcott and Hort, uh, Nestle and Ullen, the, the, the guys who, who did the work of piecing together all these fragments of manuscripts of the New Testament, and you maybe don't even know about these guys or care to know about them, but most of those pieces of manuscript were found coming out of versions of, of the scriptures that were written in Alexandria. Now, Whatever you want to do with that, that's up to you. I'm just connecting some things for you that, that those that many times are the most learned have the greatest trouble with the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit doesn't agree with their learning. Find your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we'll be back to Acts. But I want, I want to go here. And, and this is really what, this is the witness of the scriptures concerning we are complete in Jesus Christ. Do you know that in Christ Jesus you lack nothing? All that you need in him is found in him and he will give it to you. In fact, I studied this morning preparing for for Fargo and Jesus taught in the beginning of his ministry, ask, seek, and knock. If you want to know something, seek out the Lord. If you want to, if you need something, Jesus teaches, Ask, ask your father. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.30. Now, I'll put it into context for you because I believe that the Holy Spirit has given a powerful witness through Stephen in Acts 7. And, and you know who's there? The, one, the man who ends up writing is the pen that the Holy Spirit picks up and writes the letter to the Corinthians. Paul's words are qualified by the witness of Stephen right before his eyes. And you know what he says to the Corinthians, who would have been well-versed in all the ways of Rome, the Greek culture, very popular. They were worshiping the Greek gods right there. And he lays it out for him. He says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So I just got a little arrow in my notes under that verse that just says, Jesus is everything. And we come to this place where Stephen, having made Jesus Lord of his life through the answering of the call to lay down his life, and he's full of the wisdom that has come forth from God, 
full of the wisdom of Jesus Christ. And if you're wondering about that, how does that come to you? By the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 11 prophesied that it would be the spirit of wisdom and, and counsel and might and knowledge and fear of the Lord. Wisdom, the spirit of wisdom and counsel, knowledge, might, fear of the Lord. I'm missing one in there. Wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and fear of the Lord upon Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to know something, right? If you want to know something of God, even as you study the Bible and look at history and you want to know the certainty of these things, and we're going to watch Stephen by the wisdom and power granted to him by the Holy Spirit to take those things that are written in the history of Israel while he gives witness to Israel concerning the false accusations that he was blaspheming the temple and that he was speaking against the law of Moses. We pick up with him addressing that Moses said Jesus would come. And he quotes, if you will, in 737, he quotes Deuteronomy 18.18. Now, Israel did not dispute that Moses climbed the mountain and brought down the word of God for the people. Now, do you remember what the people were doing while Moses climbed up the mountain to get the word of God? They're down, dancing around, worshiping, falling down, drunken orgy around this golden calf. And Stephen is witnessing this to them. And this is that place of their refusal and their rejection. And when Moses brought down the word of God and he gives forth prophecy in Deuteronomy, and he simply says that there is going to be one that comes after me, like unto me, a prophet who the Lord will, God will put the words in his mouth. And you know, you know where Stephen's going now? It says, this is that Jesus. These, these are the words of God that are coming forth from Jesus. And you look at that, which you maybe don't understand, even yet today. Israel, who by and large has rejected their Messiah, do you know what verses they use to reference that Jesus couldn't possibly be the one? They use Moses' words in Deuteronomy 18 to say it's not, it can't be Jesus. And this is that place. If you, they use the exact same text to try to disprove the very thing that, guess what? Stephen, in the beginning of Israel's rejection, is bearing witness to the truth that Jesus is that one. Now, verse 38 says, This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke with him on, the Mount, on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us. See, Stephen is now witnessing, saying, Moses went up, they were all together, undisputed that Moses is up, meeting with an angel, getting the word of God. This came forth from the living God. These are living oracles. Yeah, they're written in stone, with his finger, but what is he saying? This is this came forth from God. And in saying that, and, and he says, and look at that phrase, right? In that verse, he says, whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected. Now, and this is where the witness of Stephen really starts to get to the place where he's developing. He's developed. They do not accept what God had sent for a savior a deliverer the first time around. They missed it with with Joseph. They missed it with Moses. And now he's getting on to this assembly. And he addresses this congregation in the wilderness. He says, they came out of Egypt. Now, remember, they went down just a, a, a small number of people. 400 years later, they come out, and now they're congregated. Now, if you're reading out of the King James today in verse 38, it says the church in the wilderness. 
And it's an interesting study just to look at the ecclesia, right? That's the Greek word for church. Under the new covenant, what is written? And this reference here, Stephen, by the witness of the Holy Spirit, and I think the writer to Hebrews gets it too, in saying that Moses was faithful in, in God's house, but Jesus himself is faithful over his own house. Now it's not the structure. I don't believe at this point that Stephen is actually talking about the tabernacle. He says the congregation in the wilderness, but what do you and I understand? It's the congregation, and what did they camp around? The tabernacle. And you can study it further that very specifically, they would have camped north, south, east, and west, and they're very technical. They would have not camped in these open spaces. They would have gone the width, north, south, east, and west, and they would have camped. From above, you would have seen they were camping in the shape of a cross. It's, it's amazing to me that as he describes, he puts the two elements together. He says Moses assembled the church in the, congregation, uh, church in the wilderness. Now, that alone is the beginning of the witness. Now, think of what Paul writes later on. Paul, I believe, writes later on, again, because I think Paul wrote Hebrews, but you can do whatever you want with that. I'm just telling you my vantage point. And he talks more about the congregation in the wilderness and likens it unto the rejection that that they did not enter his rest, and and he talked about that. And the warning to the Hebrews in the book of Hebrews is for the church of Jesus amongst the Jews, amongst the Hebrews, And the warning to them is to not reject the word of God like their fathers did. And that's the whole theme. Now, here we are watching this witness, and we're living in days right now where I would say, if if you're anything, um, if if you're brave enough, pay attention to like Barna Research. They are documenting the decline of faith. Or in other words, they're being faithful to let us know the apostasy is here. The falling away from the faith. Spirit said this would be this way. Now, you can get all bummed out over that. And you can be like, oh man. Or you can do what? It's getting really close. When you put together the apostasy and then, and then you, you realize what really is holding back the Antichrist right now from taking over the world. I don't think there's a whole lot of conflict between governments with the spirit of Antichrist. We watched governments line up and say, where do I sign up? How do we bring this about? This is change. We want this is good. And what I believe is restraining is the one that Paul told the Thessalonians is restraining is the Holy Spirit as he indwells the church. We're here. So why I pause for all these things is if if we listen to the witness of Stephen before Israel, the Sanhedrin, and we, we watch his witness and we just say, well, we, what does it matter? We, we miss it. God wants to give witness right up until the end. He wants to give witness of, of the truth, of the faith of the Son of God. And where does that witness come from? It comes from table waiters, if you will, servants in the church. Now, Revelation 1.1, you know who Jesus wrote the letter to? Do you know why so many people have a hard time understanding Revelation? It wasn't written to them. It says that God gave this to show his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. When I read Revelation, you know what it does for me? 
like, Lord, thank you. I'm not troubled over what's coming because guess what? I have history in advance. How? Stephen is telling Israel who refused and rejected to believe what must happen that it happened right under their noses and before their eyes. And guess what? And they even were a part of making it happen. And yet the Bible revealed that the Messiah would come that way. So he's got a few things to say to them. And he says, your father's rejected the word of God way back in the beginning with Moses when he's up meeting with God, has the word of God. And instead, what did they want? They wanted to elect a new leader who would turn this ship around. We're sailing in the wrong direction. It's too hard. We do not like life out in the wilderness, Moses. You haven't even brought us into what you said you would do. They were longing for Egypt in their heart. So what did they say to Aaron? Make us gods. Make us gods to go before us. They couldn't endure with this for 40 days, not seeing Moses, let alone what they realized is they, they wanted to see God. They wanted to see something happen. Probably one of the worst spots for the church ever to be in is when nothing's happening. Because then what happens? Someone will step up and fill the void and say, something's got to happen. Especially if you make the what's happening now kind of the whole reason for doing what we're doing. But I believe this witness, and we, we find it, they, they're begging Aaron to make him a god, and, it, and we don't know what's become of him. They make a calf in those days. They offer sacrifices to the idol and rejoiced in the work of their own hands. And they couldn't take credit for getting out of Egypt, could they? And yet, now what do you see? Very quickly, they can take credit for, yet we are still able to make these things happen. God turned and gave them up to the worship of the hosts of heaven. Now, don't ever miss this. And why I don't want you to miss this is these are the days we're living in. Why apostasy? Well, the Bible foretells that the days we're living in is going to be a turning away or a falling away from the faith. It has to do with men, mankind, humankind, no longer worshiping the living God. You would think, how fast could this happen? Well, in Moses' Moses's day, under 40 days, and they're already turning back. Don't think that what we're watching now, and again, you can measure it, you could, if you go back, if you ever keep these, and you can look at the same research, said so this is happening quickly. Yeah. What is revealed? Stephen here by the Holy Spirit reveals that it was written in the book of the prophets. So one of the prophets actually prophesies looking back to what was happening in that 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. We all know about the golden calf. Moses laid it out. Aaron barely makes it through the golden calf. Can you understand that? Aaron makes it through that because Moses gets on his face and intercedes and prays for his life. Aaron barely makes that through. But Amos comes along and prophesies, and then Stephen before the Sanhedrin, he, he takes Amos's prophecy. Amos is actually trying to get the people in his day, a prophet sent by God, to get the people to listen to God. And he quotes the time in the wilderness, and here's, here's Amos's words. That, I mean, who studies the book of Amos to know what's written in there? I mean, I might I kind of have to think through a few things. I'd have to go back and refresh. Right here, Stephen, Holy Spirit, wisdom, right on the spot, understanding. He says, did you, did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness? O house of Israel. 
Ah, now you're listening to him, right? Because there's a whole nother assembly gathering in Stephen's day. Do you know what's happening to the Sanhedrin? You know what's happening to the high priest? There's this, there's this other church that is not centered upon the worship system of Moses and the tabernacle of Moses or the, you see that? And they're now centered upon Jesus Christ. And now he gives witness that Amos said that yes, they did offer sacrifices, but then look at the next phrase. You also took up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your god Remphan, images which you made to worship. I will carry you away beyond Babylon. So he takes Amos's quote that says they were worshiping other gods in that time in the wilderness. Forgot about worshiping God, didn't want to worship God, gave themselves to worship other gods, and God gave them up to worship the hosts of heaven. And then Amos's prophecy is what? This is why God is going to carry you all the way to Babylon. Now, we should pay attention. If we were the Sanhedrin, we would pay attention and understand maybe. But what was it? Go way back to the beginning. Babylon in the beginning, Nimrod, right? That's the separation of the nations. But furthermore, where does Abraham come from beyond Babylon? This is the witness now of, hey, let's understand what happened in the world. You were not pure in the wilderness. While Moses is getting the word of God, you reject the word of God and you're assembling together, but you're worshiping God and false gods at the same time. He says, our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. Verse 44. That's an amazing thing. Because what's amazing about the, the tabernacle is not that the tabernacle itself, but its origin. Again, Moses was told to make that tabernacle according to the pattern that he had seen when he was with God up on the mountain. So not only is Stephen getting a glimpse into heaven, we're told, Stephen's witnesses, that tabernacle is a pattern of God in heaven. That's his witness to Israel. You had, you had the pattern of the place where God's throne is. You have the mercy seat. You have the cherubim. And we, we can take the book of Hebrews and put this together. They had that. So Moses appointed instructing. So Moses receives the instruction. And I love this about if there's one thing about the book of Exodus right at the end. You spend five chapters getting what Moses received from the Lord, how to build this whole thing, and then you get five chapters later, five more chapters in detail spelling out. They built it just like they were instructed. Now that's the witness that Stephen gives them because remember his accusation that Stephen wants to destroy this temple and is blaspheming. But what's Stephen giving witness to? He says, hey, look around you. We called, Abraham was called out of Babylon. All these gods were worshipped. Even when you had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, while you started congregation, while Israel began to congregate, the church of Moses, if you will, in the wilderness. Now we know it's not the church of Moses, but now this church of, of Jesus is forming right before their eyes. And they are having a big problem with this church of Jesus because of the witness and power of those that are declaring his death and resurrection. Now it says that the fathers, having received this tabernacle, in turn, they brought it into the promised land under Joshua. Now, what does that remind you of? All I can think of is how did they get across that Jordan? 
Not only did they have supernatural power getting out of Egypt to be saved, called out of Egypt into the congregation. Think of church, ecclesia, called out of the world, saved in Jesus Christ. And then they entered in. And they entered into that promised land when the, when the instructions were the priests would carry that, that ark and the ark led. And the moment that the priests touched the, the flooding Jordan, Jordan River in flood stage, everything dries up. They crossed over and took that in. And then describing the supernatural work of God to drive out before the face of the fathers until all the days of David. So he sums up the book of Judges. He sums up really Samuel's life, Saul's life, and he brings them all the way forth to David. All along, he's describing that that tabernacle is God dwelling with them. God has not forsaken them. God is with them. God has kept his promises. The tabernacle, God is with you. Catch where he's going? And when it comes to David's life, David has this idea, and this is what Stephen tells him. David found favor before God, and what's David's idea? He looks around, he says, I dwell in a house. I mean, Israel's being built, and they're, they're dwelling now in houses, and, it's, and he looks around and says, yet God dwells in a tent. So his idea, let's build him a temple. And then the, the whole interaction, and we know the interaction because David is told he's not to build him a house, but 2 Samuel 7 declares, God says to David, I will build you a house, and he promises that the Messiah would come forth from his line. In the middle of that, concerning this finding a dwelling for the God of Jacob, Stephen gives testimony of Solomon built him a house. And then this phrase, however, the most high does not dwell in temples made with hands. (coughs) Now, they're watching an assembly gather in Jerusalem that is not centered around the temple. And we've been to Israel. And we go visit the people, the folks at the Temple Institute. And you would think that they're absolutely convinced that the temple's the Messiah. I can't explain it another way after listening to them for over 12 years. 2003, almost 20 years, the times that I've been there. And they would bow down and worship the temple, I think, if it was built. Now, in declaring that, Stephen's giving witness... God is dwelling in their midst, and it wasn't the temple being built that brought God into their midst, because what did Jesus say? He prophesied that that temple would actually be destroyed. Stephen, I think, probably referenced Jesus' prophecy, and that's where he got into conflict with the other synagogue, and he's speaking against this place. And and then Stephen once again goes to the Bible and says, well, the prophet says that, that heaven is God's throne, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Don't you love a prophecy like that? You know, the prophet is not speaking words that that he wants God to say. He's speaking the words that God gave him to say. Uh, a little healthy fear of the Lord, you know, think about, we just think of how many less things would be said concerning those that stand up and speak for God. Stephen declares that, that God, and they said, what house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is this place of my rest? Has not my hand made all those things? And that was Solomon's prayer. I know that there is not a building that can contain you, for your God, really omnipotent, omnipresent. So really they have this decision. And remember Gamaliel's advice, if this thing be of God, you can't put an end to it. You should take 
be careful what you do with these men because if you do something to these men, you might find yourself to be fighting with God. Well, that didn't stop it because as it continued, now Stephen is before the Sanhedrin and he's witnessing of the existence of the assembly, the ecclesia of Jesus Christ. Many are being saved. And at this place where they want to, they want to state that the church that belongs to Jesus is, is not of the same God who gave us this temple. And what's Stephen's witness? He says, you don't know your own history. And he declares that, that what you're seeing assembling, this assembly of, and it's all Israel. It's not Gentiles yet. It's all of Israel being saved and assembled together in Jesus Christ, and it is not centered around the temple. And this is the issue that he puts forth. And you know, look where he goes next in 51. I don't think he read, was it Stephen Covey's book of how to win friends and influence others? Who wrote that one? Is it Stephen Covey? It's probably some other guy. Is it? You know, you know that business is always going to be flexible and moving. Business is not so much interested in the culture of things. It's interested in profits. You know, it'll be just like Bill Clinton, how he led the country. Licked his finger, put it up in the air, and says, I'm your leader. Check out which way the wind is blowing. I'm your leader. Tell me which way you want to go. But Jesus comes and what? For Israel, he fulfills the scripture. Stephen's bearing witness to this. Now, we come to this place. Stephen lays it out. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Now, those are sharp words. He is invoking for their witness words that Jeremiah said to them. Do you know how close Jeremiah was to being killed for what he said? He was saved miraculously. He's in that pit, would have died in the pit, but one of the guys, one of the Egyptians went and pulled him out. Ebal Melech, I think his name was. And he pulls him out. And, and other prophets, in fact, when you read the book of Hebrews, what do you find out? Writer, writer of Hebrews says that, that Israel killed all the prophets that God sent to him. What's Stephen saying? I'm not surprised you killed the Messiah. You've always killed everybody. And that's what he says. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Think of, why did God send the prophets? Almost without exception, the prophets were sent to turn the people back to worship of God. Because they were worshiping something else, God sends a prophet, declares this. First one is recorded in the book of Judges. You might have missed it. Because all you remember about the book of Judges is Samson. Oh, and I remember Gideon. And, but do you realize before any of the deliverers came, before any of the trouble came, that God sent a prophet and the people refused to listen to the prophet. Actually, the people who heard him, they turned back for a short time. So, isn't revival sort of the same way as you study history? God pours out his Holy Spirit upon the believers. And it's like, it's, like the, it's like the Holy Spirit, again, in revival, revives and restores and turns people back to the worship of God. Now, I, you can look at it that way and see what, what's happening now. And people, like those of us who are, what are we really asking for in revival? Well, what we should be really crying out for is for people to turn back to God, and yet you have Bible prophecy saying they're turning away from God. So my thoughts concerning this witness is, what's the Holy Spirit saying? 
I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to speak boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ to declare and bear witness to the people that we live around. Maybe you need to give witness to a church. John and Charles Wesley preached the gospel at the steps of other churches so that because those churches were no longer preaching the gospel, they would go out in front and they would preach the gospel as people were going up into services. Now, when people got saved, you know what they did? They let them stay there because as people were getting saved, then that church would be, they'd be transformed. They'd also preach to the men who were going to work in the factories early in the morning, lining them outside, and they would get up and they'd preach Christ. So think of the sharp words. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you have now become betrayers and murderers. Now, concerning this word of God that Stephen now brings to them, and they are, they're, they're all going after Stephen because this whole church which is not a part of the temple, not centered upon the temple, is overtaking them. And he says, even when you had the tabernacle, right in the beginning you worshipped everything else. And so he simply is saying, so you think the temple this, the temple that, the temple, the temple. Well, in 38 years there's going to be no more temple. What happened to Judaism after that? dispersed once again. In fact, the brand and flavor of Judaism that was there was not really centered upon the temple either. It was synagogue Judaism. 400 synagogues in Jerusalem, as Stephen gives witness. When you travel there now, and if you go to the Western Wall, and the place, so you've got the men's section, the women's section, so if those of you have been there, you come up and you're in the hotel there, and you're, you're, you're in the courtyard, and you come to that Western Wall, and then some of you have been, have you been down in the tunnels? You've seen the tunnels? So that's the place where you can go down to the rabbi tunnels and you can go along deeper along the western wall to where they believe the Holy of Holies as close as you can get. It's a great archaeological thing because you're down at Jesus level, street, street level Jesus days, I guess you call it. But you understand, right in that corner where the men's section is, you can, there's a couple of doors. You can go through those doors and there's thousands of synagogues in there. Now, what qualifies for a synagogue? Well, where the Jews would go forth, if they found 10 righteous men, they could start a synagogue. And it's a collection, it's a collection of the books that are required by their rabbi. And so many of the synagogues actually have a branch synagogue in Jerusalem by putting their books in that library right there. So if a Jew from anywhere in the world comes to Jerusalem, he can go into his synagogue and get his prayer book out and come out, lay it out on the table, and he can pray right in Jerusalem on the Western Wall. Rabbinical Judaism, not Mosaic, right? Mishnah Talmud, not Bible, Tanakh, let alone this witness that Stephen is giving that day. And he's saying, the Messiah, the very one that all the scriptures talked about has come and you murdered him. The prophets said he was coming, you killed them. And he describes that this law that had been received by the direction of angels, you have not kept it. Here you are to say we have the temple and he says you've always rejected what God said, you've rejected the living word of God, you don't keep the law You don't listen to the prophets. What's left? Isn't that the phrase? 
And Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you fulfill all the law and prophets. Jesus is more in line with the word of God than those that are controlling the culture and the temple. Shouldn't find that strange to find that. We will find that in our day and age as well. When they heard these things, they were cut to their heart. And what did they do when they were cut to the heart? Well, the Bible says here that they gnashed at him with their teeth. They were so overcome as they were cut to the heart. Holy Spirit-filled preaching of Christ cuts to the heart. In Acts chapter 2, men were cut to the heart, and they say to Peter, what do we need to do to get saved? In Acts chapter 7, they're cut to the heart over the witness of Stephen concerning Israel's rejection of the Messiah. Cut to the heart, they gnash their teeth at him, and they rush at him. They rush at him. The Holy Spirit gave a cutting message, and it goes right to the heart. But he, Stephen, right, he being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Now, that's where I think we have a foreshadow. They see his face, and his face is is like an angel. That's where this whole thing began. And now he is giving witness, and he is giving witness unto them, an equivalent of what Moses would have given witness. How did the people know that Moses was with God up on the mountain? He told them. There was one, his servant, who was up there with him. Remember him? Joshua. Joshua was near many times at that place where Moses was meeting with God alone. Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God. That's got to be amazing. You think of Peter, James, and John Mount, up on Mount Hermon, right? Mount of Transfiguration. I believe that's where it was before the biblical chairlift was up there. I'm glad the biblical chairlift is there so we can get there instead of having to walk all the way up there. But I believe it's probably Mount Hermon where he was transfigured. They get a glimpse into glory. They are allowed to see into heaven and they see, who do they see there with Jesus? It's foreshadowing that the law and the prophets are there, Moses and Elijah. Uh, What Stephen's saying, and now Stephen says, I see into heaven and Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. Now, you know what Jesus told the Jews, what he told the Sanhedrin, what he told everybody? He says, you're going to see me no more until you see the Son of Man coming with power and great glory. But what does he describe? He says the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I love what Stephen says. He looks into heaven and he sees Jesus. He sees the throne, right? And he sees him not sitting, but sees him standing. Now, he's not looking towards heaven. He's not imagining things. This is a supernatural glimpse into heaven, and he sees Jesus standing. Now, it's kind of, I mean, we, we just throw out a conjecture there. And again, remember, it's conjecture. Jesus is seated on the throne. He's forever living to make intercession. But Stephen sees him standing. Where's Stephen going to be in about two minutes? He's going to be entering glory. Do you really believe that, that what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church is accurate? Absent from the body? Present with the Lord. I believe with all my heart what's happening here is Stephen is seeing Jesus and Jesus is standing. And so we say things like, Does Jesus stand for every martyr? I love reading in the book of Revelation how the souls of those who were martyred, they're immediately under the altar in heaven. 
It's like, that, what an interesting idea. And those that are martyred, those that lose their life for the faith of Jesus Christ, we're told in Revelation, they are with Jesus for eternity. Right where he's, wherever he is, they are. Centered around the worship of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, verse 56. Then they cried with a loud voice, stop their ears. Now, remember what he said? <laughs> right? And he's just bearing witness. Your fathers refused to listen to the prophets. What did Stephen just do? He showed them that they're the same. He says, not only did you refuse to listen to the prophets, you refused to listen to the Son of God when he came. And then he said what? All this working that you're seeing going on right now, this is all being done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom of the Spirit, taking the scriptures, giving the scriptures by the Holy Spirit. What's he saying? You resist the Holy Spirit. And when one is resisting the Holy Spirit, and it's true, they rush at him with a loud voice. They, they stop their ears. We do not want to hear what the Spirit has to say. And they together have their own accord to bring an end to Stephen by taking him, casting him out of the city, and stoned him. And then we're introduced to Saul. Saul of Tarsus right there in 58. Saul was a willing party. And you can study this out, that when they're laying their clothes down at the feet of this young man named Saul, he's not just there watching the coats. He's overseeing the judgment of that decision. And he's the one who is saying Stephen should die. Now, we'll be there in just a couple chapters, Acts 9, when, when Saul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus when he's going about to continue to persecute the followers of Jesus. And he says it's hard for you to kick against the, the pricks, the, that ox goad to you know, poke this ox along to, to do this work. And Saul's right there. Verse 59, they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God. I was just, it, it, interesting, yet it's repeated over and over. The prophet who comes forth and speaks in the name of God they kill that prophet for speaking in the name of God. Stephen, by the Spirit, declaring all these things. He's calling on God as he's stoning him. And look what he says. He's calling on God and says what? Lord Jesus. Now, one of the kids today in children's ministry, four and five-year-old class, Tony told me this on the way up. He, he declares, Jesus and God are one and the same. So here's your four and five-year-olds bearing witness to the truth. At the end of prayer this morning, we had another, what, five or six-year-old, six-year-old I think is, he's, he's simply praying, and his prayer is that uh, concerning Jesus, you died on the cross and arisen from the dead. And, he, and he, that, he's just bearing witness to the truth. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that's the truth. I remember a young man saying that one day, bearing witness to this truth. Stephen, they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus. What's he saying? Jesus is God. He's calling upon God. So when you're in trouble, should you call upon the Father? Should you call upon the Son? Should you call upon the Holy Spirit? Yes. Help. Do you have time to form your doctrines? Well, let's see. Because there's a Jesus-only group in water baptism. 
And I think there was a Catholic priest who was said that all the baptisms he had done didn't count for the Catholic Church because he said the wrong words not too long ago. And I, 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 I'm pretty sure God knows what's going on. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I love this because we, we, we can talk all we want. We can sing songs like, more like you, make us more like Jesus. We can make that our prayer. And here you have one who has become probably as close to the likeness of Jesus in the early church as we can find. Started out as a servant, right? Begins to go forth in the power of God, doing all the things God shows him to do. He comes to the place like Jesus where they want to kill him for what he has said and done. And as they're killing him, he says almost the exact same words. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus didn't say, receive my spirit. Jesus said what? He, he says that he gave up. What, did he, what, did, what, are the, what are the words that Jesus said on the cross? When, into your, oh, into your hands I commend or commit my spirit. Who had power over his own life? Jesus had power. You do realize he, nobody took that power over him. It's his life. He had the power to lay it down. Why did he die so early by the standards of, of mankind? Because they didn't kill him, even though they nailed him to a tree. He did what? He laid down his life. Stephen says, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice. And, and I mean, do you hear the echo of the likeness of Jesus? So Jesus on the cross says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What does Stephen say? Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, However you look at this, we know that falling asleep is a clear reference to he died. But he didn't really die. I mean, isn't this what this comes down to? We believe that those that have faith in Jesus Christ, born of him, we receive the spirit, we have eternal life now. And when he died in this world, he went to sleep here, woke up in heaven. Now, might even be really cool that as he's being stoned before he's actually dead, he maybe got to go to sleep before he died and went to heaven. I don't know that. But what I do know is that the, the analogies that the Bible uses, and you can come to this conclusion, you say like, I don't know if I could ever be a martyr. How do we keep from like reading this and not saying, well, what about me? Could I ever do that? Would I ever be faced with that? And so we start thinking about ourselves and, and maybe you hear the stories, Voice of the Martyrs publishes a lot of things. And you look at that and I'll just simply say this, what Stephen walked through, did it look very hard? He's calling upon God, Lord, receive my spirit. They, he cries out with a loud voice, his last words, and he's in the presence of the Lord. You, know, you, you can talk about wanting to live as long as you want to live, maybe. And maybe some of those years at the end, you, you, you've watched others go through the last 15, 20 years, believers, and you watch how, I mean, it's usually not that great of a time necessarily spiritually towards the end, for some that are, as they get older. So what does Stephen do? Stephen lays it all down. Now, he's not alone. It's estimated that in the first 280 years of the existence of the church, because it started out with, with the Jews persecuting the believers, and then Rome got a hold of this thing when, you understand, the gospel with Paul went out. There were so many people being saved in the Roman Empire that Rome took notice and said, we got to stop this thing. 
it's reported that the 500 that Paul told the Corinthian church, it's reported in church history that those 500, Rome went after them who had the witness of Jesus' resurrection. They, again, you think of a country, who, a nation who ruled that way, they sought to squash this thing. First 280 years, 6 million, the estimate is 6 million were killed. Now this is the history of the book of Acts, how it began. The word martis was the Greek word for witness. So many of the early Christians died for their faith that the word came to mean one who believed so strongly in his faith that he would give his life for what he believed. What we really have is Stephen's witness, but he's called the martyr. And now the martyr means one who witnessed in that way. Now it continues today in places in the world. You can study the history of China is horrible. History in Russia is horrible. Modern day, what's going on in Syria? What's happened in Iran? I mean, you start going through this list. Venezuela? And you start going through Sudan. Oh, yeah. Sudan and, yeah. Nigeria, present day. And you look at all these things and that martyr continues and God still holds every one of those lives valuable in his sight. So, Lord, we thank you for the life of your saints and the witness and power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit that we could bear witness to this truth in our day. Lord, I pray for the youngins in the room that if you tarry, that they would hold fast your word. Lord, they would have the testimony of Jesus Christ and they would never waver. And I pray that that book of Revelation would be for them the guide of the history in advance that could keep them in you. And Lord, keep us all in you. And may our lives bear witness to the truth of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So God bless you. May you have a wonderful week in the Lord concerning your faith and trust and love in Jesus, Jesus Christ. Excuse me. That you may experience the nearness of his love, the greatness of his power, and that you might be built up on your most holy faith. And the words that Jude said to the church, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed from heaven. He's coming. And if you get to go like Stephen, Stephen got his own rapture, so to speak. And if the day comes for you get to go, or if we're here when the Lord calls us up, either way, when we're there, we are going to immediately be brought before God. Stephen did not enter a soul sleep, neither do we. The false religions talk about stuff like that. I, I grew up Lutheran. And I found out that one of the branches of Lutheran, they basically teach the same thing. That you go into the ground, in the grave, and you're there till Jesus comes back. I think someone should witness to them the truth concerning what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Do you think Stephen is, is somewhere under a pile of rocks waiting for the second coming of Jesus? I believe what we read in the scripture is absent from the body, present with the Lord. So when I do a funeral of a saint... I remind everybody, we didn't lose them. We know exactly where they're at. It is bad to lose somebody when you don't know where they're at. It's not that comforting, is it? You don't know. You're like, where did I? And that's not very comforting. But for us, you know what is comforting? 
I find it comforting to see that we're living in the days of the apostasy. We're living in perilous days. Why is that comforting? That means that everything Jesus said would be happening, when we see it happening, what was his instruction to, to us? He says, look up. Your redemption draws nigh. So God bless you. You're free. You're at liberty. God bless you. you go, John. Move. 